a heavy heart today uh, with the loss of Steve. And uh, so uh, Jane was planning on being here this morning, uh, but at the, at the last minute just decided she wasn't able to be here. So let us remember the family, friends, those that are close uh, to uh, Jane and Steve. Uh, just uh, um, really be in prayer for them in the in the coming uh, or Jane in the coming weeks. Um, I don't know if we have any other announcements in particular. Uh, Ian has one, and uh, I just wanted to mention um, uh, we have a couple of services coming up. Um, the service for Millie Gray is going to be this Saturday at 9 a.m. And that's here. Um, and our, our goal is to be able to, to accommodate everyone who comes. And so part of that is that we'll have overflow seating uh, in the fellowship hall. And so um, if um, we're sort of encouraging folks who are part of the church family to sit back there first so that folks who are part of uh, Millie's family can sit here in the sanctuary. Um, and we'll have the audio and the video um, prayerfully streamed out there, so you'll be able to, to see and hear everything that's going on in here. Uh, again, that's this Saturday at 9 a.m. Jane asked me to share some of the details for um, uh, what they're planning for Steve's services. Um, so they're planning for August 15th um, for an, Im an immediate family service. Um, as I'm sure all of you know, as Steve has shared over and over again, Steve has a huge family. And so um, because of um, COVID concerns, um, they've, they've capped that service at 50, and that's going to be family. And al already at that point, they're going to be having to say no to some family. Um, their plan after um, that service is to have a, a public committal down here at the cemetery. Um, because that's outside, they're more comfortable saying anyone who wants to come can be there. And um, and uh, uh, Tracy was quite quite excited at the idea of a few months down the road, um, once things have kind of cleared up, to throw a big Steve-sized party um, for everyone who can come at the community center. And so more details on that will be forthcoming. Um, but uh, again, August 15th, that will be an immediate family service, and then afterwards a public committal, and that will be recorded. Um, so everything there will be posted online as soon as possible so that, that everyone can, can be part of that remembrance as well. So I think that, uh, I believe, yeah, Hunt Cemetery, right, right down here on the, on the road there. Allison. Yes, yeah, so, so Millie's service will be recorded as well, and, and that also will be posted for anyone who's not able to make the, the in-person service. Okay. Yeah. Late morning? Okay, I, yeah, I wasn't sure. I don't think Jane had given me a time. Donna says late morning. Thank you. All right, if there are no more announcements, uh, let us uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Let's uh, 
Let's uh, have a, a moment of silent prayer, and then I will close. Let us pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, it is indeed with heavy hearts that we come to you this morning and uh, we can feel comforted to know that you know the beginning from the end, and that each one of the hairs on our head are numbered as well as each of our days by you. So this is no surprise to you, but for us, it's a real loss. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that you would quiet our hearts, that you would uh, comfort uh, Jane and family at this point in time. And uh, we know it'll be things changed at this point in time and it will never be the same but uh, eventually things get kind of back to normal and so Lord we pray that that would be the case here we pray that you would just watch over our church as we grieve and uh, you would give us wisdom and, and discretion and understanding in the things that we need to do and uh, we pray that you would again uh, just watch over and comfort us during this time and uh, we pray that you'd watch over our service this morning. We pray that you'd watch over Ian. We pray that you would speak through him this morning as he brings the message. And that everything that we say here this morning and do would be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Huh. Um, as most of you know, we, we choose our songs uh, uh, weeks in advance uh, from the services um, and so it's it's just interesting that the uh, the first <laughs> and I may need to <laughs> ask for help uh, singing this morning uh, but if you turn with me we'll stand and sing number 681 in his time 681 we'll stand and sing it through
acapella. In your time, in your time, you make all things beautiful. In your time, Lord, my life to you I bring. Make song I have to sing be to If you would turn to 353, victory in Jesus. No matter what the circumstances, we can have victory in Jesus. Let's sing all three verses.
Thank you. I apologize for that. I. <laughs> well. <laughs> amen. Amen. I guess I missed the uh, script reading there. So we'll uh, we'll go to our script reading now in uh, Psalm 56. If you'd like to turn there, be reading all of Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, O God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk. They watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offering to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. And now would the uh, ushers come forward for the morning offering, please. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, again, we thank you this morning for your love and kindness and understanding towards us. 
we just thank you for all that you've provided for us and we think of our jobs and our incomes but also our families and most of all our salvation and we are so blessed and we just want to thank you for that and we pray that you would take this offering and we realize that you don't need our money but you have asked us to give in faith and even when it's hard even when we feel we can't you've asked us to be faithful and so this is an expression of our faithfulness to you we pray that you would take it and bless it and use it and uh, that many might come to know you in Jesus name we pray amen and we'll remain standing and we will sing 786 count your blessings and we'll just sing the first and the last verses count your blessings So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. That's encouraging. We're going to go to the God who is over all in prayer this morning. Um, we've had a, one prayer card in the offering. Any prayer requests um, that we want to bring before the Lord this morning that didn't make their way into the offering basket? Yeah, Matt. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Mm. Amen. All right. Yes.
Good. Good. Sarah and Wesley. Tara. Okay, I'm sorry. Tara and Wesley. Made it home. Brian. Good. Good. Brian is on the mend from the infection. <laughs> Amen. And Jane, of course. Yeah. And Andrea. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we praise you. You are our great and our awesome God. You keep covenant with your people. Your, your steadfast love abounds to those who love you. And we come to you this morning, Father, you who are the king of all creation, and we acknowledge that we're sinners. We, we have not kept perfectly your commandments and your rules. We haven't always listened to your word or obeyed your scriptures. We come into your presence and we know, the Lord, that you are, you are righteous and, and we're ashamed. We, we can see so clearly in your light our own sin. Lord, we acknowledge that we, we, we may not have acknowledged you in our lives. That as we come this week, we may come having, having worshipped idols, having not set aside time to worship you, having not honored those who you've placed in authority over us in our families, our communities. We come maybe, Lord, having, having led lives of lies or deceit this week giving false impressions for our own reputation. We come, Lord, maybe having gossiped or soiled the reputation of others. We come, Lord, maybe having stolen, being guilty of covetousness. Lord, we come guilty in many ways, in smaller and large ways, but we come with full honesty and open hands and ask your forgiveness, O oh God. We come to you because you are abounding in steadfast love to all those who call upon you. Hear our plea for grace. We rest in your promise that if we walk in the light as you are in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Father, we come this morning with heavy hearts. We pray for Jane. We thank you for your intimate presence with her, that indeed you know every hair on her head. We thank you, Lord, for the promise in the Psalms that you collect every tear in your bottle. And we pray your comfort on Jane and on the whole family. We, we pray for Tracy, Lord, we pray that you'd be with her, that you'd be working in her heart by your spirit. You'd grant her comfort in knowing that, that her father really is with you, the one true God. We pray, Lord, uh, for the preparations for Steve's upcoming services. We pray for uh, Pastor Phil Andrukatis as he prepares. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in Steve's services. We know that's exactly what he would have wanted. 
pray that your gospel would be clearly proclaimed and that people would be able to understand clearly the message that Steve lived and died for. Lord, we pray as well for Allison and Andrea and the whole family as they walk this week towards Millie's service. And Lord, we pray that you'd continue to comfort Allison, to comfort Andrea. We pray that you'd continue to heal Andrea's body. And we pray for the service on Saturday, that it would be a comfort to everyone who's there, to the family, and that you, Father, would be glorified in your people. We pray for Deb Palmer, who's having a procedure on her back tomorrow. We pray that everything there would go well, that you'd give the surgeons steady hands, and that she would be brought to a full measure of health, free of pain. Pray for Herman and others who are struggling to breathe in this humidity. We pray that you would give him breath. We pray for our friend Steve Wadsworth as he waits for a heart procedure. We pray that would get scheduled soon and that you would help his heart to keep beating. Father, we pray for this com church community. We pray that you would be with us and that you would help us to grieve. We pray that you'd give us wisdom in this unprecedented moment. Pray that you give wisdom to those who are in leadership. We pray for our nation, which is in many ways divided and hurt which in many ways is feeling the pain of unforgiveness. We pray, Lord, that you would heal the sense of injustice and unrighteousness and that you would give us paths to reconciliation in our polarized society. And we, pr we pray, Lord, that even in our own community, you would give us opportunities to work for reconciliation and to work to, to share the love of Christ, the reconciling love of the gospel. You've reconciled with us, Father, through your Son, Jesus. We were at cosmic war with you, and yet you died for us. We thank you, Jesus. We pray that your Spirit would be at work in our nation, in our town, in our community to bring revival. That you would empower your people in churches across this land and in this town to be at work. And that the good news of Jesus would provide abundant new life. Lord, we come thankful this morning. We do count our blessings even when the, the clouds of trial are around us because we know that you are with us and that you, even in the hardest times, you give us good things. We thank you for the gift of our church family that we get to be a part of this community. We thank you, Lord, for the, the abundant love that our church community has shown to Jane this week. We praise you for the various gifts that you give your people to build up the body. And those have been so clearly seen this week. And we praise you, Lord, for, for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Lord, we, we thank you that Brian's infection is, is getting better. We praise you, Lord, that Zoe is well. Um, what good news. And Lord, we, we thank you that Tara and Wesley are home safe. We thank you for your traveling mercies to them. And we lift all of these things up to you, God, the only king, internal, immortal, invisible. You are the only God. 
And we ask, Lord, that to you be the glory forever and ever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jane has has sent over to me this week a couple of big boxes from Steve's, Allison knows, from Steve's files from his study this week. I've, I've sorted through a lot of the ones that, that I have been given to me. There's a lot of helpful resources. Um, but I, I think I need to share one thing that I found um, in Steve's honor because I think that he would want us even today to smile. Steve Daniels was never more than a moment away from his next great joke. And I'm not as funny as Steve, so I'm sorry. But here's a joke that he filed away. And I'm sure he may have told this story in church before, but it cracks me up, so bear with me. Uh, the, the premise is that squirrels, vast hordes of squirrels, had taken up residence in local houses of worship. Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church, the Lutheran Church, the, uh, the Catholic Church, and the Jewish synagogue. And the Presbyterian Church had called a meeting to decide what to do about their squirrel infestation. And after much prayer and consideration, they concluded that the squirrels were predestined to be there and they shouldn't interfere with God's will. <laughs> At the Baptist Church, the squirrels had taken an interest in the baptistry, which we don't have here, but this church did. And the deacons met and decided to put a water slide on the baptistry and let the squirrels drown themselves. The squirrels liked the slide and unfortunately knew instinctively how to swim, so twice as many squirrels showed up the following week. <laughs> the Lutheran church decided that they were not in any position to harm any of God's creatures. So they humanely trapped their squirrels and set them free near the Baptist church. Two weeks later, the squirrels were back when the Baptists took down the water slide. <laughs> the Catholic Church, they came up with a creative strategy. They baptized all the squirrels and made them members of their church. Now they, now they only see them at Christmas and at Easter. <laughs> Not much was heard from the Jewish synagogue. They took the first squirrel and circumcised him, and they haven't seen a squirrel since. <laughs> So you can thank Steve for that. We've, uh, we've anticipated our pastor's passing for months, but this week we're, we're faced with the reality of his absence from us. And we're mourning, we're grieving. Paul in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 says, that the Thessalonians ought not to grieve as others do who have no hope. We're grieving the loss of our pastor, of our friend. Jane is grieving the loss of her husband. And grief is hard, and that's an understatement. We've, we've experienced a lot of loss in the past year. We've lost Heather and Joyce and Millie and now Steve. And today I want to talk about how it is that as we grieve, we grieve as, as people who have hope. 
This isn't a cheap, easy hope, though. Sometimes for those of us who have the hope of heaven and of home, it's easy to try and skip over grief, to try and paper over the pain of loss and of separation. And I, I just want to encourage us as we look to hope today that we don't try and shortcut past lament. We're going to talk about hope today, the hope that we have in Christ, that we're going to see Steve again one day. And to that today, he's with the Lord. It's a great hope. It's a joyful truth. But hope and joy on the near side of grief is cheap. Hope and joy on the far side of grief is is abiding and it's lasting. It's deep. So make space for grief in your own lives in the coming days and weeks. We're, we're going to spend some time this morning with Jesus in John's well-known account of his dealings with his friend Lazarus. And my hope for us today is that as we look to Christ, as we meditate on his words, that we would have hope by believing in him. So let's read the passage together. We're in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 27. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But because... But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pray. Father, we need hope from your word. We know that there is no higher, no surer, no firmer hope than the hope that we have in you. Speak to us, Lord, because there's no greater gift that we can ask from you than that you would actually show up among us today. That you would take the words of life as we read them and apply them to our hearts by your spirit, the spirit of life. That's what we ask for. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to focus in this morning on Jesus' words to Martha in verses 25 and 26. At this point, Jesus had not yet raised Lazarus from the dead. It's a spoiler alert. Eventually, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. You've heard the story before. But in this moment, as Jesus spoke, Lazarus was dead. And Martha and Mary were torn up. But as we read, Jesus knew that there was more going on in Lazarus' death than met the eye, verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God, he's talking about himself here, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus knew that Lazarus' death was a divine appointment for the glory of God's resurrection power to shine through Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus put it plainly in verses 14 and 15. Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Lazarus' death was an opportunity for the disciples and everyone else to see Jesus for who he really was and really is. To see in raising Lazarus from the dead that Jesus was God's agent of resurrection power in a dying world. But that demonstration was yet to come in the verses we're going to look at today. Here in these verses, Lazarus was dead and the sisters were mourning. Verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She'd seen Jesus heal people. Mary makes the same kind of statement in verse 32. If you'd been here, he'd still be alive. Martha sounds almost bitter, but she was, she was hopeful, verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. In verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. The final resurrection on the last day was something that the Jews, many of them, were hoping for and anticipated. 
And we as Christians, we share that hope today. That one day, the righteous will be bodily, physically raised in new resurrection bodies. And the, the unrighteous will be raised as well. In John 5, Jesus says this, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. As Pastor Steve made clear in his sermon series on heaven, our eternal future with God won't be a sort of disembodied existence for eternity where we only exist sort of as spirits in the spiritual realm forever. When we die, our spirits will go to be with the Lord apart from a body, but as Christians we know that one day all who have died will be raised bodily. There'll be a bodily, physical resurrection of all people. The righteous, those who have trusted Christ to the resurrection of life, with God in his presence forevermore, and those who are apart from God, still in their sins, will be raised to eternal judgment. And Martha believed it. She knew Lazarus wasn't lost forever. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha had put her hope in the real hope of a future resurrection. But Jesus was there that day to redefine resurrection hope, to personalize resurrection hope. Remember, we said that the events surrounding Lazarus' death were for a reason. God had sovereignly appointed Lazarus' illness and his death for his own glory in Jesus. Basically, Lazarus' death was to be a dark, hopeless stage for the brilliant glory of all that Jesus is to shine through. And, and Jesus was about to redefine and to refocus Martha's hope in the resurrection. Martha had put her hope in a future resurrection, but Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Standing in front of her in flesh and blood was the resurrection power of God in the form of the man, Jesus Christ. That's our big idea for the morning. In Jesus' words, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And my prayer for all of us, those, who, those of us who know Jesus and those of us who consistently reject him or have never come to know him, my prayer this morning is that you would believe in him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And what does that mean? What, is it, what does it mean that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Fortunately, Jesus didn't just stop with his bold claim. He went on to explain it. Verse 25 again, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In those two lines, we get Jesus' own exposition, his own explanation of this claim. I'm the resurrection and the life, and this is what that means. So we'll look at the two statements he makes. First, he says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Basically, for those who believe in Jesus, death is not the end. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
the universal enemy of mankind, the inevitable shadow which looms over all of us, however old or young we are, no matter where we're from, rich or poor, in every age of human existence, we have dealt with the reality of death. It was Benjamin Franklin who said, nothing can be certain except death and taxes. We've heard a lot about death rates and infection counts the last few months, and some of the numbers are hard to pin down. But one death rate is for certain. 100% of those who live will one day die, unless the Lord returns first. And for those who are unaware of or opposed to Jesus and all he taught, there isn't much hope beyond the grave. In our increasingly secular and post-Christian society, in the words of one scientist of the last century, the universe is all there is, was, and ever shall be. Humans are, in this world, in this view, merely physical. There's no existence, many people say, after the last synapses of the human brain have stopped firing. And in this hopeless view held by so many people, there is no possibility, not a chance, of seeing loved ones again. There is no confidence that their existence continues somewhere. Faced with the reality of death, godless men and women have no recourse, no appeal to anything or anyone who exists above and enthroned over the world. No. Apart from God, mere random chance has brought us here. And the random occurrences of a random world will propel us onward through this randomly painful life until our existence is meaninglessly snuffed out at the hour of our death. Life without God is hopeless. The reality of the secular dream which John Lennon penned is a hymn of hopelessness. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. What hope after death does secular man have with such an ideology? None. There is no hope of eternity to brighten the gloom of death apart from God. So how do we face our deaths? How do we face the deaths of those we love? Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. For those who believe in Jesus, death is not the end. There, speaking into the heartfelt pain of a grieving woman, was Jesus, who we know was God incarnate. The creator come to inhabit creation, the author of life entering the story, the one that we'd all rebelled against, earning the wages of death by our sin, and yet he'd come after us to slay the dragon of death. The author of life, who we'd rebelled against, had come into the world to renew life. John 1.1 says that Jesus, who is called the Word, is God and was in the beginning with God the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. 
and the life was the light of men. Jesus, the same Jesus who met Martha on the road and would later cry with Mary over the death of Lazarus, was and is the author of creation and the life and light of all men. In the beginning, when God spoke creation into existence, Jesus was the word that was spoken. In him was life and light. Jesus exploded the cosmos into existence. He invented the nebula and painted the stars. He kindled the fire of the sun and he sustains the light of the fireflies. He made Adam out of dust and he breathed life into him. In him was, is life. And that life was the light of men. And John tells us the light shines in the darkness and the light and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him Yet the world did not know him. The light and life of the creator God had been compressed and concentrated in the God-man Jesus. The author of life had now entered the world which had rejected him, which had turned from him in rebellion to death. And he came with the promise of resurrection. Renewed life. Verse 25, again, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the author of life, Jesus is saying, brimming with the life-giving, creating power of God. And I've come for those who are face-to-face with death to offer resurrection power, a hope of life after death and in spite of death. And all this he offered and offers to the world, to any who will believe. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The, the key, the doorway, the on-ramp into death-defying hope is belief and trust in the person of Jesus. Martha had an abstract hope in a future resurrection event, and Jesus had come in the flesh face-to-face with Martha to declare personally, I am the resurrection and the life. There is a future resurrection event coming. But what Jesus was trying to get across to Martha and what we must see is that resurrection power is found only in the person of Jesus. Jesus demonstrated his power over death with Lazarus here in this passage if you were to read on. But ultimately he demonstrated his resurrection power after he himself had spent three days in a tomb. Dead. It was the resurrection of Jesus that vindicated him. And it was Jesus' defeat of death that energized the apostles as they spread the good news after Pentecost. And eventually there's this promise of that eventually death itself will die. That's the last enemy to be defeated. Jesus' end will be victorious over death. And Jesus' claim to be the resurrection here to Martha was going to be vindicated, proven right by his own resurrection from the dead. And the resurrection power that is in Jesus is, Jesus said, available to all who believe. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. When we're given the gift of faith in Jesus, we're enabled to share in Jesus' resurrection. This is Paul in Romans 6. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In Corinthians, Paul explains that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. We talked about this on Easter. 
He's the first resurrection of a whole harvest of resurrection life. Paul again here in 1 Corinthians, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Peter here, 1 Peter 1, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. His promise is simple. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In other words, death is no barrier for someone who knows the author of resurrection life. For those who believe in Jesus, death is not the end. All those who die having trusted Jesus, having believed him, having thrown themselves totally on him, can die knowing that though they die, yet they will live. And that was our pastor's hope. That's our hope for every Christian we have ever known. That those who believe in Christ, even though they die, yet they will live. And that was the power of Steve's witness. The power of his ministry in the last two years was his testimony that even facing death square in the face, he knew that even should he die, yet he would live because he believed in Jesus. Because according to his great mercy, Jesus had caused Steve to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So how can we face death with, without fear? We can face death without fear by believing Jesus. By going to him who was raised from the dead to find resurrection power for our own lives. And Steve is our example in this. In many ways, he didn't want to die. His love for his wife and his family, his love for his church and his community, his love for his friends and his acquaintances was a strong tie to this life, but he wasn't afraid of death. Faced with the great enemy, death, Steve was immune to the kind of fear that death often deals in because Steve had hope. And people noticed. Steve had Jesus' promises, though he die, yet shall he live. And that's why even in one of the hardest weeks that this church has faced, we have solid hope. For those who believe in Jesus, death is not the end. Remember our big idea for the morning? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And we asked, what does that mean? First, we saw, for those who believe in Jesus, death is not the end. Secondly, we're going to see, for those who believe in Jesus, life will never end. For those who believe in Jesus, life will never end. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The resurrection power which we have found in Jesus doesn't just give another chance at a finite life where we'll die again. Lazarus was raised, but he died again. It was a temporary resurrection. 
he was not resurrected like Jesus was resurrected, and he was not resurrected like we will one day be resurrected. Jesus here tells us that whoever believes in him will, in fact, never die. He's already acknowledged in the previous verse that that many of those who believe in Christ will die. Though he die, yet shall he live. But that won't be the end of the story. They'll be raised, and that resurrection will be for eternity. Everyone who lives and believes in Jesus shall never die. For those who believe in Jesus, life will never end. The kind of life which we are given in Jesus never ends. The word for life here is used over and over and over by the Apostle John in his gospel. It's the word zoe, like the name Zoe, um, and it means life. And over and over and over, in maybe half the instances, Jesus pairs zoe with ionios, which means eternal. Jesus is talking about eternal life. John 3.15, whoever believes in Jesus may have eternal life. John 3.16, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 5.24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John 6.40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is a fountain of resurrection life for all those who believe in him. And the life that he gives to those who hear his word, who believe in him, who look to Jesus and hear his voice and follow him, that life is eternal. It will go on forever. Amen. The life that we have been given in Jesus will never end. Never end. Jesus defines what he means by eternal life in John chapter 17. Starting in verse 1, he prays to the Father, saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. Here's our definition. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life will last forever, and it will consist of knowing God forever. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And isn't that exactly the picture that we get of the eternal state in Revelation, which Steve, a picture Steve has painted so well in his series on heaven? When all that stands between us and the new Jerusalem and redemptive history has come and gone, we will stand in the new city with the people of God from all ages. And we will need, in the words of the Apostle John, no light or lamp of sun, 
for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The presence of God will so saturate our future home, the new Jerusalem, that the light of God's glory and presence will illuminate every square inch. That's eternal life, to know the one true God and to live in his wonderful presence forever and ever. And that's what Steve is enjoying now. New Jerusalem hasn't come yet, but Steve is enjoying even now the immediate presence of God. Jesus said to the criminal on the cross, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The presence of God. I don't want that to sound boring to you. I think Steve's talked about this. I know. I thought heaven and eternity sounded boring when I was a kid. Just singing and probably playing a harp or something. (laughs) Forever? Sitting on a cloud? Come on. No. The presence of God is not boring. First of all, I don't think we'll be playing harps or sitting on clouds. And in the eternal state, we will be in a newly created earth, filled and teeming with life. Everything good about this earth will remain, and everything sinful and cursed and painful will disappear forever. And the presence of God will be the centerpiece. But even before we get to the new heavens and the new earth, the presence of God, knowing God in his full glory, won't be boring. Steve isn't twiddling his thumbs right now. And if we have a sense that the presence of God will be boring, it might be that we don't know God as well as we think we do. The most seasoned saints I have known, the longer they walk with Jesus, the more they abide in the word, the more they desire to know God more fully, face to face. It's like dinner. Dinner, in the abstract, isn't always appealing to me. Ready for dinner? Yeah, I guess I'm hungry. And then I walk into the house, and I smell it. It smells good. And then I'm giving, given a forkful to taste. Oh, give me more of that. It's the same way with the Lord. Every step closer we take to the Lord, every greater bit of understanding, every sampled bite of his goodness, the closer we get to the kitchen, leads us to want more. To want the whole meal, the whole smorgasbord. And in this life, on this side of heaven, we won't be totally satisfied. But like David, who made it his life's work to pursue the presence of God in prayer, we can learn to pray like this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. For those of us who have found life in Jesus, we will spend eternity immersing ourselves in the all-satisfying presence of our eternal God. And even now, our pastor and friend is enjoying that presence. His pain is over, his sickness is gone, and though he has not yet received his resurrection body, even now he is in the presence of our God. And while we who labor still on earth can't fully imagine what that must be like, we know that whatever it's like, it must be far greater than we could ever imagine. 
and we mourn his loss. The, the empty hole in our lives which his life and presence once filled. That's okay. That's natural. It's right to miss the ones we love. And yet we do not mourn as those who have no hope. We mourn for ourselves. We mourn for those who love him, for Jane, for Tracy, for his grandchildren, for his family. But we don't mourn for Steve. We rejoice that even now he is in the presence of the God he loved and loves so much. The Savior that he spent his life proclaiming. Steve and Millie and Joyce and Heather are no longer with us. They're with the Lord. They're experiencing eternal life. Life which will never end. How do I get that kind of life? How can we know eternal joy in God? The answer is simple, and we've already heard it from the mouth of Jesus. Believe. Believe. Everyone who lives and believes in Jesus shall never die. For those who believe in Jesus, life will never end. Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you believe Jesus' words? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the chosen Savior of the world, who came into the world, who died for sinners, and was resurrected, raised to the right hand of the Father in heaven? Do you believe that his death atones for our sin? Do you believe that his resurrection can be effective for those who believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And for those who believe in him, death is not the end and life will never end. We face death with courage and know eternal joy in God. Come to Christ in faith. He is the resurrection and the life. Believe in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, who is the word of life and who came speaking the words of life. We thank you that he defeated death and is in the process even now of vanquishing death forever. We look forward to the day, one day when death itself will die. But we pray, Lord, that you'd be with us in this moment as we get up tomorrow morning and deal with the reality of loss and death. We pray that you would help us to grieve. We pray that your spirit would be our comforter. And we pray that you would help us to put our hope in Jesus. We thank you for the gift of faith that we can believe in Jesus 
and thereby participate in his resurrection life. Be with us as we go from here, Father. Send your spirit. We need you so desperately. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just sing one verse of 690. How appropriate. He leadeth me. Let's stand and sing uh, the first verse of number 690. He leadeth me.